Anything's possible, though, because, you know, Bitcoin is money, so, you know, money talk, man. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, powered by Cointelegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Hey everybody, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode triple one. I'm your first host, Rochello. I'm host number two, B. I'm host number three, Corey. What's going on this week, guys? Fellas? I feel like we should change that up. We should try and go like bananas with the intro one day. I don't think we can do bananas no. because you're not bananas mood in the morning on Saturdays. I can be bananas mood. If I have coffee or not, there's a stark difference. It's like uh, awake or non-awake. We should, but we I can, should record at like night like when we're a hair partially drunk. Intro? Well, why do we have to let people know we're doing this in the morning? It could be any time. It's, it's internet land. Oh, that's true. We let them know we're doing it in the morning because they know we're fucking go-getters and go-getters <laughs> do things in the morning according to the Business Insider articles. Yeah, everybody wants to be a morning speed. person and whoever is a morning person is just, just faking it. I'm a morning person one season out of the year. You're faking it. it that one like season fall. out of the year. No, well, faking it is not bad. You fake it until you make it. Sure, but just, it's fine. Say whatever season. you want. Faking it. You're doing it, and so you, you, you say more than me. I, have a, I can't get up in the morning. It's terrible. I feel bad for, like, my actual job. But anyways, we should probably talk about Bitcoin stuff, right? All right, so I'm intrigued now, guys. Are you curious as to what I'm intrigued by? Sure. That doesn't sound very enthusiastic. Cello, are you curious? Edge of my seat. You're laying down. No. Edge of my bed. <laughs> my bed. I put I'm in a hotel right now and I put the do not disturb outside my door so I can hear this shit. Let's go. <laughs> um This whole China shit. I'm curious to know if it if it is actually a legitimization or if it's just a bunch of FUD, which I think means fucked upon delivery. Fucked up delivery. Maybe. Fucked up delivery. That's how I always read it. I made it a little too fancy, I guess. But is it a legitimate? Okay, so if China goes in and they're like, hey, guys, you're not doing this right. You guys fucking around. And they go in there and then they slap some wrists and they, they throw some papers around. Right? And they say, you guys are fucking up. And then they come out in public and they're like, yeah, we found them fucking up. What we have defined as fucking up. But we're not going to shut this shit down. We're just going to tell them to do what we want them to do. And we're going to see how this goes, goes forward. 
does that count as a legitimization? Because I feel like it doesn't. Oh, uh, let's see. It's I, I feel like it's closer to legitimization because <laughs> something like ninety five percent of all the volume is China, and China. a lot of that used to be these ridiculous margin trading. And, and they shut the margin trading. They shut down. that margin said, trading down. This shit. You can't be leveraging a hundred times what your what your value is, and swinging the price around so much anymore. Which means yeah. that like it, it it was enough of a hassle for the government to say, "All right, we should probably take a look at this and see if any type of real serious dirty business is going on." And the fact that dirty. those those exchanges still exist, and now they're just not like crazy spring break high schoolers or college kids anymore with swinging the price around and slanging it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a better world for everyone because we in America are, are just subject to or used to be subject to those price differences because they were allowed to do that. And at some point, there may be volume. like You can, you can argue that whoever else will offer those crazy margins, the traders will go. But that's not necessarily true because it's difficult to get your money out of the country to get on those exchanges. Like, I don't trade on a lot of different foreign exchanges because they have know your customer laws. Hmm. So you think there's just going to be a rapid change in the volume in a different geographical location? Like, different a different exchange is no. going to pick up I don't, I don't I don't think that's going to happen personally. I feel that the the growth and the price will better reflect the actual use of Bitcoin than it used to because you don't you've you've taken out a piece of what changed the price. That no longer can change the price. So, you have a better representation of usage when you don't have these crazy traders changing the price. I would I would call yeah, I think- those people, those margin traders 50% of the price derivation. That's a, I just made that number up. But that's saying like that's the percentage of influence that they had on the price in my personal opinion based on zero research. I'm just saying it's significant. <laughs> it's significant. Is this in relation to the trillion dollars. What trillion dollars? The trillion dollars um, left China. Yeah. Mm. Oh no, that was that's that's a bit different. So China, the trillion dollars that left China was people trying to take their money out of the Chinese economy who live in China, right? Yeah. They're trying to put their their value or wealth in something else that's not attached to the Chinese government. Gold, silver, jewels, Bitcoin, real estate in other countries, things like that. And one of those investment vehicles is Bitcoin. So if you take a percentage of a trillion dollars and put it in Bitcoin, that's that's a relative that's a relatively large amount of money in Bitcoin world. It'd be like point one. Yeah, it's a big bump. Doesn't matter. You you don't, you don't need many of the people. You don't need much of that trillion dollars to make a make a an effect in our little pool. No, you don't. The, our the market cap between, is fourteen billion. Yeah, but the disparity between prices in China and U.S. would be insane. So while they while they buy in China and sell in Western countries, I don't think Bitcoin is a significant at all amount of money leaving China. It's, it's 
I mean, even if a billion dollars left China through Bitcoin, which it didn't because the price would go berserk, it's still going to be like 0 0.01 of a trillion dollars. It doesn't matter about the trillion. 0 0.01 of a trillion dollars is $1 billion, right? That's people who are yeah. trying to get their money and put it somewhere and keep it there. So that's, that's just a essentially you, you've injected, you've injected about yeah. 7 to 8% of the current market cap into the market cap that's going to stay there over time. Traders may play with it as the price fluctuates, but in the long run, you have more money that's willing to stay in the network. A billion dollars wouldn't bring the price up that much, but it would bring the price up a little bit. But that's still 0.1%. Or 0.001. Something like that. Well, it's a thousandth of a, a, thousandth. Of a trillion. Yeah. So. There you go. But, Interesting. Uh, I think... Is, I think you're right, Corey. I think there's... There's a modicum. I'm not all the 100% convinced that legitimization has occurred, but there is like a taste of legitimization because the price did kind of chill. And the, the, the good thing is that typically when China, the People's Bank of China comes in and they're like, no, Bitcoin, we're about to take a shit on your operation. The price plummets like some crazy shit happens, but that didn't typically, that didn't really happen. From 1150 to well, 750. That, I may just be a... Huh? Went from eleven fifty to seven fifty. That's a that's a pretty good plumber. Maybe a seasoned Bitcoiner. Yeah, that's for for I'm a traditional seasoned. investor. That's like, what the hell is this? Where yeah, I mean, we can you know zoom out a little bit and see that the price now is bigger than it was a couple of months ago. And in between, in between, we we ran on this roller coaster. But we understand that the technology is moving forward, but people are playing with it in the process. Well, you have these ups and downs. People get scared, think it's gone, etc. Yeah. And hey, you guys think that our podcast is so big now that we have like an appeal to authority, where no. we can talk about something without like a serious analysis of the argument, but people will, will hold on to what we say because we've been in podcasting for so long. We have mm. exposure. We have experience. We have. We've been in. The, we have. You know. We've been around the block, but we also don't come off as authorities and investment advisors and so on and so forth like people in my opinion i hope have grown to know who we are and trust our evaluation or at least know where it's coming from and enjoy the dumb shit we say yeah what but, if they get what if they get introduced to coin telegraph before they get introduced to us so you mean like the majority of people that that listen to us well, I mean, if you go to the Coin Telegraph, you're going to think that they are, you know, an authority. And then they're like, oh, they have a podcast. They must be an authority. Well, if you, if so you Google search Bitcoin podcast, you're going to find us. Yeah. That's an, I guess, really yep. authority. I, There's no authority in, in podcasts, in my opinion. It's entertainment. People don't, yeah. people don't listen to podcasts to like, hear the latest news, you get some news. Listen to podcasts to be entertained while you're driving or like running on a treadmill because you're fucking bored. Yeah. I just operate under the pretenses that nobody's giving a fuck what I say. So that, <laughs> that tends to help out. But uh, at the same time, like we offer up a lot of really cool information. Like, like we're 
we're having conversations that we want to have with the community about things that are currently happening. Yeah. And people want to hear Should those conversations. Should we talk about Coinbase's uh, co-founders chunking them the deuce? Well, Elena chucked the deuce too. A lot of people are chucking the deuce. Your, your, your boss's boss chucked the deuce. Elena's chunk. Sh- Elena's chunking the deuce. Yeah, she was like, "Hey, uh, I know you want to need to come on the show, but here's an article about me not being relevant anymore." Ooh, I wouldn't care that Man. much. I read like the first sentence of that email and refused to read the rest. I was like, I hate to be trick, comma, and you're like, you know what? I'll get back to this. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly how. Because <laughs> we, when you've been in correspondence with someone long enough, if the first sentence isn't, yeah, I'm coming on, I'll talk to you then, then it, you know it's some bullshit. So it's just like, fuck it, no, fuck that email. I'll get well, back. This to isn't that. a knock on, on females, but I've noticed that the females always want, like, hey, what's your audience size? Hey. You have a skeleton of top, like the dudes are usually like, "Yeah, I'll come on on Thursday. Let's do this." The women do. like they want your social security number before they come on and shit. What's your blood type? Excuse <laughs> me, I'm gonna need to. Are you an organ donor? Uh, are you a registered voter? It's like, goddamn, word. But when come on, just <laughs> a testament to the women like shit to be in order before they jump in the boat. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, you could ask a dude, hey, man, we're going to get in this boat. We're going to go sailing. And he's like, cool, let's fucking do it. Let's That's ride. all I need. But a woman's like, do Does you that have float? safety, bro? Does that thing do float? Have... <laughs> yeah. Are there holes in the bottom? I don't know. Safety, <laughs> um, is it motor powered or are we going to row? Uh, um, let's move. Let's move. Let's move into this interview because this is just a couple dudes talking. Well, what's interesting is the, the interview is. podcast, and he doesn't like Bitcoin. So let's let's talk about that. Yeah, man, what's that about, Corey? Was that an awkward conversation where where he was just like? It wasn't awkward at all. It's, he's it's like, there's there's a lot of people in this community and a lot of projects that are making headway where Bitcoin seemingly is not. And he's like, I'm I'm tired of waiting around for something to happen in Bitcoin when a lot of things are happening in Ethereum. That's basically his stance. And I think that's worth exploring because I think a lot of people, even Vitalik, I think feels that way too. I mean, he just just recently he disclosed that their their current remaining fiat and crypto reserves, uh, the Ethereum Foundation, they bought three hundred more Bitcoin in the meantime. Um, but wait, I'm reading I'm reading the numbers right here. The Ethereum Foundation used to own five hundred Bitcoins. Uh, but they sold around half of their Ethereum reserves and increased their Bitcoin position by 60%. And uh, I wanted to ask author about that, but my mic wasn't working. Yeah, so a lot of the reasoning behind the foundation changing their what, the, what they currently hold is based on how they feel they can best make money to, to keep the foundation going. And if they feel like the Ethereum price is, is, is in a bubble, they sold it for Bitcoin. That's probably why they sold a good portion of it for Bitcoin back when the price was so high because they realized that it was an overinflated valuation of what Ethereum was probably currently worth at the time. And they said like that they that they can make financial decisions to keep their to keep their business going without that necessarily meaning that they don't feel good about the underlying technology. Right? 
I buy and sell Bitcoin and Ethereum all the time. That doesn't mean that when I sell my when I sell Bitcoin for Ethereum, I think Bitcoin's dead. It means that I feel like yeah. the price is going to move in a certain way in the future, and I want to try and take advantage of that to increase my personal wealth. But I still have completely isolated, objective feelings towards the technology. Yeah. Well, yeah. If Bitcoin are dead, then how come the volume is increasing around the globe? That's what I want to know. Well, there's a lot of people That's, in the world. I want people to. So like, they're weird. I want people to answer that question for me. We're in this crazy small bubble of people who understand what's going on and actively look to figure out how the technology works, where it's going, what projects are right now on the cusp of being open and things like that. We already understand a good portion of how the technology works and what its implications are. Now we're looking at who else understands that and what they're doing and what they can offer. Most of the world yeah. doesn't even understand or heard of Bitcoin blockchain what this is, what it's going to do. So what's the first thing they hear? Bitcoin. First thing they jump into? Bitcoin. What does Bitcoin allow a lot of people who are unbanked to become banked? Yeah. So that's their introduction. And of course, that's going to be their on-ramp. And it'll continue to be their on-ramp for a long time until other platforms come out with things that allow them to come right into the scene without going through Bitcoin. That's not here yet. I don't think you're going to see that come from Ethereum until Metropolis drops and they have, they switch to Bitboard until they potentially switch to proof of stake until they have these solid platforms like Uport that make it easy to get into it. You can't jump in unless you're comfortable with technology, which I'm going to tell you, the vast majority of the world ain't comfortable with technology. Is anybody working on Gotham? Gotham. They're just dropping Metropolis. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> it was funny watching you try to figure out what Gotham was. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't, that's not a thing. <laughs> Either way, I, I think it takes a certain amount of courage and bravery to do what Arthur did. Because, you know, he has followers and he's like a person of interest in the community. And for him to ha take that stance, I don't know, I commend him. I think you're right, but I do think it's short-sighted. I just think he's absorbed in Ethereum. Don't no, like insult him, man, before the interview. Insult him afterwards. He's not going <laughs> to not talk to us because we already recorded it. <laughs> I'll insult him afterwards. I wasn't insulting him. I was just an opinion. Are we gonna I, call, him? I call it D-short-sighted every day. That's <laughs> like yeah. I'm insulting him. You know, if you know, it'd be like you know, Jimmy Kimmel brings out a guest, be like, "His movie sucks." All right, here comes Brad Pitt. No couch. That's not what I just did. That's not even remotely close. All I did was say that I feel like he should groom his beard more. No I'm kidding. I'm we can't. We can't say that and have someone like Ken on the show. Represent the show, <laughs> Ken. That dude's beard. Shit. He might as well just be like. Call him. I don't have a good name for a lion. Ken, man, so. when he grooms up that Viking beard. It's game over, dude. That's it. It's game. The thing over. I like is that if you listen to this podcast, you know who Ken is, and if you don't listen, you don't know. We're not going to explain. Yeah, it. we're we talking about the Bitcoin Viking. We here. have friends of our of the podcast. Join the Slack. We'll tell you all about him, and he'll tell you all about himself. Dude, he's gonna hit up that. He's gonna hit up that GQ beard. Throw on that Viking helmet, and then ladies are gonna start throwing draws at him. And he's gonna okay. We need to go into the interview. Sorry, 
Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll go ahead and introduce this one. Arthur Falls is the podcast host of State Change, which is the official consensus podcast, as well as the Ether Review, where he interviews. He has another podcast where he talks about mostly Ethereum projects, but other anything that's of, of value. And um, he has some really good, really good interviews and, uh, and and guests on that show. I'd recommend listening to it. So, without a further ado. Go ahead, Dean. You can do it. Here it is. Yeah, it's a like I don't know. It's more fun. Like I guess our podcast kind of shifted to wanting to just get to know who people were and the motivation behind the projects that were leading the community. Because you can pretty much find out whatever you want to find out if you're curious. But the the people. And this has become, I guess, brutally apparent in the like the the in the winners and failures of the past year. The people behind these projects, whether their ideas are good or bad, or the real necessity for making something win. Yeah, it's uh, it's the cool thing about podcasting, especially, is you can get someone like Peter Vicinis, and you can say, "Hey." What do you really think? And uh, and she made the point that I want to say what I think, but I'm going to get accosted on Twitter if I do. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but you can their arm and uh, and get everything, get kind of all that uh, all that good stuff out of them. And um, and wow, like what an interesting guy. The um, one of my big things right now is trying to understand what the big guys are doing because I've uh, I've basically lost uh lost all faith and hope in the bitcoin experiment and um and uh and understanding where it went wrong you know it's it seems ridiculous to to say you know when the market cap is hovering around 15 billion dollars to uh to make that fateful statement that bitcoin is dead but um but to me it is and um and so at this point it's uh Post mortem, you know. I mean, I might, I, might, I maybe prove wrong, but um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not very impressed with uh, with what I've seen, and um, it does seem very stagnant. So yeah, so the the question now is, what went wrong, and what can we learn from it? And the um, to get some answers just uh, an hour ago out of uh, out of Peter, which is great. Yeah, the way I kind of see it, I mean. They're working on a lot of really cool things that will help the protocol, that will help it scale, that will do all these things. But it seems as though they're never, ever going to get implemented. Because the consensus model yeah, of it's... changing things just doesn't seem to work very well. And until that changes, nothing can really move forward. Yeah, it's it's like, geez, man. We're in, a, this is, we're in such a strange... Where it seemed like Bitcoin had was like it had done it, you know. When uh, when I look around, and uh, particularly when I read CoinDesk, um, I have this kind of sense that a money machine that prints a thousand dollars every ten minutes incentive uh, by the people who 
to uh, promote its use and uh, and uh, and promote their own interests. What you find is that those interests are quite bizarre. Let's face it: where is all the mining hardware? It's in China, and uh, and if you look in China, you don't see the uh, you don't see Ethereum listed on many exchanges. Not yet. And I think it's because uh, there's a towards uh, any notions of proof of stake. And I think that that is preventing, uh, I think that there are, there's a cabal of individuals, uh, among them Chandler Guo and uh, Barry Silbert, that will rubbish and, uh, and diminish as much as possible any, um, any non-proof of work uh, technologies or any, any technologies that might be conceived as threats to, to proof of work. I... I see, like, so I've also been told from a few friends of mine that um, live in China that it's like they're very much culture-wise a second mover advantage type of people. They will never do something that's new. They will do something that's proven, and they'll and they'll figure out where the first failures failed and then improve upon that. So I don't see them bringing on Ethereum really quickly, and America is very much the opposite. A lot of people are very much the opposite outside of that, that that cultural difference. But you can't shake a stick at all of the infrastructure that's currently built based on Bitcoin. Now, you, don't get me wrong. You're starting to see a lot of people hedge their bets by working on incorporating Ethereum also onto the platform. Should they need to do a wholesale switch over, you know, vis-a-vis Coinbase? But there's still a ton of infrastructure that's being built and used that's on Bitcoin that just isn't present on Ethereum. So it's not gone. I don't think it's dead, but it's not going anywhere. It's not getting where it needs to be to become that massive adoption global currency that it has that. It was like the ideology that, that kind of brew it. It's uh yeah, it's not. And it's a lot of people. It's just quite how, how stagnant it is. Um, okay. Uh, when I applied for the job at Consensus, I got an, an uh, Alexa account, a big, fancy, expensive one. <clears throat> All of this analysis of, of Bitcoin media and, uh, and, and Bitcoin web traffic. And what I found was that it peaked in 2004, uh, not 2004, 2007, 2014, into 2013. <laughs> and then, um, and uh, and tape it off slightly. Um, no, two thousand and four was when uh, was when he was working on his uh, his proof of work, reusable mm-hmm. proof of work. <laughs> but uh, you know, it tapered off and it and it stagnated. It went absolutely flat. It it has not moved significantly at all. Traffic to uh, traffic to Bitcoin related websites. I mean, you get these bumps of maybe. 25% sometimes. Nothing, nothing to write home about. And, uh, and it's my feeling that wanted to get in, got in into, at the 14. And there's, and all efforts to expand the community have, uh, and so well as infrastructure has been built like a Chinese ghost city, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that exists. 
Yeah, it does. Um, and no one's using it. Like no one's. I mean, Circle gave up. Yeah, they they, they allude to using Bitcoin as the, as the back end and things like that, but that's it's it's probably more along the lines of some type of blockchain as opposed to the actual Bitcoin network. Exactly. So what is going to happen now? You know, like where are we? I mean, sure, Ethereum is obviously it's it's not a, a negative thing. I think it's a, it's a fantastic thing. I'm really obviously I've been a, like you know an absolute an Ethereum nut for uh, years, but um, well, yeah, yeah, I guess yes, yeah, probably two years. Yeah. Um, uh, it's um it is perturbing. It is perturbing well, and kind of concerning. I don't like to think of all the poor people who will be burnt by this. Well, the question you, is who. Go ahead. Well, the question is, uh, and I'll put this to Peter, who made money out of Bitcoin? And it seems to just be the the people who got it early and the uh, and the miners. I've made money, not significant money. So if you say who made money, money, then yeah, the people who got in early, and they make they'll make significant more money if they can convince people to make it a store value and so like I don't, I don't know i've seen a trend over the past year because when i first got in it was it was bitcoin was the one to rule them all and anything that was going on the side was essentially just a playground so that bitcoin could eventually absorb it and become better and that has clearly not become the case and it's moving towards more of a a large network effect of many blockchains and the interoperability is the one thing to rule them all. So finding something that can go in between all of them will be the thing that kind of makes all of this grow really well. So you have very specialized chains doing certain things. Ethereum probably doing a lot of that. And I know that which which yeah, means yeah. that Bitcoin carry, Bitcoin is for what? What's the point of it now? Is it does it just become a slow, secure storage of value that can only probably handle very large value transactions? Does it fall off into obscurity? Does it, like, I mean, or it's, I'm curious to see what happens to it because all of the other, it's not as necessary as it used to be to be in crypto. No, it's... Uh... <laughs> this is uh, this is suddenly a really intense conversation because, <laughs> um, you know, but it's with this price bump, right? Mm -hmm. For forever, and I haven't actually done I haven't done any analysis of it yet. But um, the question really is: this most recent price bump did the uh, did the mind share expand? Did we see more search uh, more Bitcoin searches? No one knows about Ethereum really in the world, right? No, experiencing enterprise adoption. So, the the real question will be: Did the uh, did Bitcoin see a mindshare bump? And if it did, then um, so we have to re-examine the thesis that it's uh, it's in trouble. I'm 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 I don't really expect to see to see a whole lot, and I'm uh, so it's one of the big things is how do we re-architect our 
in the space to uh, to adjust for major, I guess, iceberg on the horizon, which is the um, the the changing uh, the changing arrangement of value in the in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space, where in the past it's been so heavily weighted toward Bitcoin, we may well see it shifting to some other platforms. Do Among think, them, Ethereum. With, you know, I, no I feel like that'll be gradual. It won't be. I mean, Ethereum has, in my personal opinion, some point in the near future, a very large bump in price, which will put it back to where it was, which will give it a much larger market cap, which then puts it in a much larger kind of arena of the big boys. For a lot of people who view it in terms of like view legitimacy in terms of market cap, but I I have a question about the ease of on ramping because I'm finding it almost impossible to teach people about Ethereum. Yet, and and less impossible to teach them about Bitcoin. So using it as an as a educational vehicle to understand what cryptocurrency is and can do. Which once they get a grasp on that, if they do, you can then really open their eyes to all of the things that cryptocurrency can do. I don't see a way to, to well, do what that. I think is go ahead. Actually, yeah, sorry, carry on. No, I guess that's go ahead. I think is it's less about education and more about intuition and building something that people understand how to use intuitively rather than explain see, I think this is also where where uh, where Bitcoin uh, ran into trouble, it people how to use it, and I feel that that's an unacceptable uh, UX burden. Right? Really, you shouldn't have to teach it. I if, if I don't know how to use a computer program or an app, look, I don't want to have to learn how to use it. I want to pick it up and know. You know, it should, my thumb should automatically navigate. It should just be perfectly fluid and an extension of my experience because I use so many new things every day. I don't have time to learn. Uh, and I feel that where we went wrong with Bitcoin and where maybe with the concept of distributed applications, which of, sure, of course should only ever be called applications. In, in <laughs> yeah. Because they shouldn't even need to know there's a difference. All you have is an application with these strange, new, awesome capabilities. And so I think that through the education thing, when I explain what Bitcoin is, uh, what, uh, what Ethereum is, I say, Web 1, that was the read-only web. That was where you could go online and read things. Then there was Web 2. That was when you could put stuff online. And the maximum extension of Web2 is and social, uh, not Bitcoin, geez, <laughs> Facebook and social media. <laughs> I know, it's like, yeah, totally every second word that comes out of my mouth you'd think would be, uh, be crypto related. Um, is Facebook and social media because you have these people interfacing through the internet, which is something that they can, uh, they can both read from and post to. And then, the, and then Web3 is where you have not just these interpersonal relationships, but you also have business relationships online. And then the obvious question is, well, what, how do you explain eBay? And the truth of it is that eBay is a Web3 technology. It just came out at the same time as, uh, as these other things. It was kind of the, uh, it came out in the, the, with the, the burst of Web2 of web tech. And um, yeah. 
So Web3 technology built on Web2 infrastructure. Exactly. And, and now that we have our, uh, and now that we have actual Web3 protocols where business interactions can take place entirely mediated by the internet itself, enjoy an entirely new experience of the internet and the internet can reach even further than it has in the past of our lives. So do you feel that a, a lot of people who are who are full steam maximalist Bitcoin people, they are just clutching onto ideology and they don't want to see see this or or do they have a point too? Like Andreas is full steam ahead Bitcoin. He talks about Bitcoin and only Bitcoin. And he has a lot of really good points when he gives talks and why this is an important thing. Is he is he just clutching onto ideology? I think he's a shill, man. I don't like him. I think he's sleazy and weird. <laughs> I, you know, I know lots of people do. I met him in I met him in, in person, and uh, and he's a really great guy. You know, I'm sure. I, I I hope he would be able to laugh at my critique oh. of, his, uh, of his public persona. But I don't. I I don't. Um, not until recently, right? I didn't used to trust anyone in crypto ever as a rule, okay. you know? And I don't know, I would, he would have to convince me otherwise, right? People in crypto, because you never know. Everyone's, there's too much at stake. There's too much ideology. So yeah, to answer your question, definitely. I do think it's ideology. But um, I did, there are some things that, you know, he's too persuasive. Persuasive people, charismatic people, totally... He has, he's built very, very, very wonderful analogies. Now I'll say in the past, in in his recent talks, it's become much more emotionally charged in what he's, what he's talking about. But the analogies he makes to help people understand the concepts of the technological change are fantastic. I don't think you can get away from that. And I'm curious yeah, to see how he reacts if we see this shift in power or this fall of Bitcoin and growth of X, whatever else happens, Ethereum probably, in my opinion. But whatever, like, however that change of power, if it takes place, however that does happen, I'm curious to see how he shifts with it. Or all of the people who are so maximalist. I think he'll shift with it. I mean, he's already writing uh, Mastering well, Ethereum. It's, it's right. not one of those. Like, these, these, people are hedging their bets. You cannot deny that the big players are hedging their bets. And one of the most interesting things that I have noticed moving forward, um, and this is, um, I know, I have to be really careful how much I, uh, how much I shill for, um, I shill for a, a, a technology that's not exactly represented in the portfolio of, of the people I have professional relationships with. But um, the, some of the concepts, I've been talking to uh, the guys at String Labs quite a bit, and I really like, it was, it was great because Peter brought up Definity himself. Uh, and it was just like, oh, awesome. Finally, I get to have a conversation with someone who's not from String Labs about String Labs tech. And uh, they have a new, a new blockchain concept that, I mean, I'm not going to go into the technical side of it because it is really technical and, um, and we, don't want to, um, we don't want to get into one of those, like, you know, you know <laughs> those, like thick as molasses yeah. uh, discussions about, 
um, about deep tech and uh, and blockchains. But I, I'm just I'm thoroughly convinced by a lot of what developed, and I kind of want to see. I don't want to use a blockchain that has what that has, and that's being adopted by um, Ethereum. To be fair, by you know the by the the guys in the Ethereum Foundation, stand that you know they have their own thing, and I just and it's I guess in a sense what you uh, what you naturally understand. But I think. Ethereum, I think we have some other new and interesting technologies and blockchains that are going to emerge on the horizon. And how exactly we go about uh, using those and how we uh, how those integrate into the network of, uh, of as you know, it seems this thing is evolving, uh, will be really interesting. The, um, the really cool thing is how the EVM has become the absolute stock standard for um, for smart contracts and uh, and kind of the Ethereum transaction structure has become the default standard for uh, for structuring transactions, which I think is awesome. Well, they've that's done a like very good a, that's job. The major it's, one. it's it works. You know, it's it's a it's a programmable language to do business logic. That I mean, it it, do, it does it all, and it it's, does it in a very friendly way to to developers, which is huge. And I feel like that's kind of where it got a lot of things right. It made it easy for people to hop on, play around, build things, and then show people what they built. And then and then you have this synergistic structure of other people doing the same thing that can interact and you build and it's, it's you know, the sum is greater than the parts type of scenario happening with all of the people building things. And Bitcoin kind of had this wall you had to get over in order to start developing or contributing. Yeah, it's uh, it's well. Oh, I mean, it's a new era. It's uh, it's going to be a really interesting, um, really interesting time. Seeing what uh, seeing what rolls out. The there is so much going on on the consortium front as well. I'm very aware of that. On yeah, lots of people don't like consortium chains. I love them. I think they're great. Well, I've talked about well, that people... a lot. It's it's. It's so what's what's become clear with all of these things is what is your trust level? Like what where do, where do you need to place your trust? How much trust do you have in the people you're interacting with? So on and so forth. And once you have that down, you may not need a completely public blockchain. That's because it's that's slow. The consensus mechanism and scaling of a public blockchain and its current implementation is really slow. But if you trust everybody, you can make it pretty damn fast. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I mean, you can probably do. Pull, I mean, even right now, you can probably crank through thousands of transactions a second. Yeah, and, parody, uh, parody and does. I think three hundred thousand, something, something ridiculous on a on a on a on a laptop, and a private private mode. I think yeah, I, I think Haskell has something similar. The the block apps has to, Haskell client. Although I don't uh, I don't know exactly what uh, what its throughput is, but yeah, and that is. So I mean, right now, say right now, what do we want to do? So we want to track, so we want to track interactions on a in a in a supply chain and manufacturing process, uh, or a series of manufacturing processes. Say a production process, 
two manufacturing processes and the logist supply logistics that connect all those together in a single consortium environment, you need to have uh, you need to have a permission chain. You can't do it with a public chain. And uh, I'm really excited to see how all that stuff pans out. I mean, and um, and I can't. Well, I mean, you saw uh, you might have seen there was an article on on CoinDesk, an extremely cynical article actually, um, about a uh, about an enterprise Ethereum consortium that is in the works. I think it's very tentative right now. Nothing set in stone, but I think certainly something is going to come out. Um, something similar to consortiums, just around providing uh, and developing good t technology for uh, consortium chains. And it'll be interesting to see who the players are who participate in that consortium. It definitely will be. I, I, f I feel people underestimate the amount of money and development and technology that enterprise brings to the table. And public blockchains simply can't provide what they want or what they need in order to operate. We actually are interviewing um, Big Chain DB, I think, uh, sometime next week or this week. This weekend, we're interviewing Bruce Pond from Big Chain DB. And a lot of people are kind of don't like them because it's a blockchain like structure on top of a traditional database. Well, guess what? People use a lot and trust a lot and is known to scale traditional databases. And now you just have a trust layer on how you interact and read and write with that type of thing. That's that's useful. So I've always seen kind of this this spectrum of kind of the like the ideology, if you will, of the community, where you have these people on one side that are like public everything, open access everything, and you have the other side that's like these private consortium, you know, everything's secret. And you're starting to kind of see the people move forward, and you're seeing implementations here, implementations like like a little bit closer to the center of the spectrum slowly but surely and blockchain is a part of both of these things but in a different way uh, and kind of we're, we're seeing that happen simultaneously and people hate well they usually just like kind of poke fun of the other side of the spectrum but sooner or later it'll just be this kind of nice linear way of dealing with things based on how you trust the people you're interacting with and how much throughput you may need so on and so forth you have a lot of options and how you make the business that you want to make or deal with the people you want to deal with as opposed to just being relegated to the traditional options of the infrastructure we have now. There was a, uh, uh, with Peter, I may or may not include this, uh, what I mentioned in, with him in the, um, podcast that I published with him, but the we he asked me what uh what predictions i had for for 2017 and i told him i don't really make predictions i just watch <laughs> because <laughs> i would have been wrong so many times it's actually meaningless at this stage and um the thing is that the the misunderstanding about consortium blockchains really comes i think from a misunderstanding of what blockchains are and um actually now let me phrase it um because I'm always just blockchain, a misunderstanding of what databases are. And if we look at the world and we cast as a type of blockchain, uh, a type of database, 
if you forget businesses, all right, just think of the data that the businesses have. Government departments, just think of the database that those government departments hold. And then you start considering connecting these databases together. What you find is that a lot of these organizations lose their raison d'etre, you know? Mm. And, um, and so the problem with uh, throwing a whole, throwing everything on a public blockchain is that that takes all of these little siloed, uh, these, or these little discrete chunks of the world and it throws them all, you know, of organizations and it throws them all into this, uh, this kind of melting pot of, um, this melting pot of data that really affects their reason for existing and is extremely, to say it's disruptive, uh, is, is really beyond, um, well, it's a, it's, that's, that's an understatement. It's, it's incredibly disruptive and not necessarily in a positive way to have that kind of disruption take place, uh, rapidly. So I think, I think not only is a, a gradual approach to the public blockchain, uh, kind of paradigm inevitable. I also, I also think it's preferable to a just kind of diving into a hot bath of, uh, of, um, of public databases. Which, you know, yeah, there's, I, a, I there's something be... that a guy from uh, consensus that, um, we did some, some Dow analysis stuff back and forth with each other when that whole hack happened. He works for consensus. Uh, Johannes Pfeffer, I think is his name. Oh yeah. Johannes Pfeiffer. He just, he just actually, uh, this is worth linking. I'll send you a link to this. He just posted a, uh, Ethan. a blog about Ethan. Awesome. I was, I, I read that. I'm really into it. The semantic web. And one of the videos of that, of that pop of that post that he mentioned discussed this push for open data and what the semantic web is. So like you had this web 2.0 and that was kind of the sharing of documents and being able to get from documents and people put all their documents on the web. But documents aren't data. Documents are people's processed in process of their own data. And by oh, people actually putting their data on the web and making that accessible, it's this whole nother level of synergism that we haven't seen before. It's another web. And blockchains assist with that. And they assist with the access and standardization of that. And that's a huge thing because a lot of companies produce really good data and then make shitty documents out of it. And if, <laughs> yeah. if, they, if they give you both, then it allows for people who are more creative or insightful or curious than them to come up with more things and everyone can, can win from it. They can still produce their shitty documents, but people can still win from the, the really good data they also produce. And I suppose that's, I mean, that is the, uh, that's the dream of, I mean, that's the dream, that's the maximum extension of the idea of the internet, though, as well, isn't it? Yeah, whatever the you idea want, that, whatever data slash interpretation of that data you want at any time from anywhere. It's there. So, yeah, well, I mean... What does it mean, though? For what? Well, I mean, okay. Let's. Uh, that being the case, what does it mean for blockchain? And what do you see the? Uh, what do you see happening in two thousand and seventeen? Uh, what? What? Yeah. Let's. Uh, I'd. I'd love to hear some of your. Uh, some of your predictions. Corey. My predictions. All right. Let's see. I've. 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 I've been moving towards 
a prediction, like a trend of this Bitcoin loses its moniker as the only one that matters because Ethereum will probably gain a lot of ground and legitimacy, especially in terms of apps that people use. And you'll start to see this this trend that Coinbase has been blogging about become more real of the tokenization of network protocols and the investment of good network protocols means essentially investing in an ICO or a coin and your 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 bet on which one wins is the is kind of where you get your return on investment with whoever uses that protocol so you have things like IPFS swarm uh, golem blockchain db all of these different network what you can call them network protocols but blockchains that do different things typically have a token associated with them because that's what's wonderful about blockchains is that you kind of get finances built into the system and because a lot of these are built on the same network they all talk the same language i'm referring to ethereum uh and I also see this push towards interoperability of, of multiple chains. So we'll start to see ways in which you can build systems based on multiple blockchains that kind of take the specialization of each of those blockchains and use that as opposed to for one thing trying to do everything. Do you think that's real? I what? wonder if that's real. What's real? The uh, the the interoperable blockchains. Everyone kind of talks about it, but I don't. I read the polka dot which paper. Which blockchains? Yeah, but which blockchains need to interoperate? You know, Zcash needs to interoperate unless it unless it gets fully implemented into Ethereum. You have these consortium um, but blockchains, the, but also you have but the interoperability of public and private blockchains. So you, but you can do that all with BTC Relay. What about you can't do that with Zcash? That's being started with uh, what is it? Little whatever that acronym is. Essentially, the oh, baby Zoe. Yeah, baby Zoe. The fork of BTC Relay for Zcash. Well, yeah, that was Z Relay. Then your baby Zoe was the implementation of uh, of uh, zero knowledge proofs in uh, in Ethereum. But then um, the real, I mean, the, the catch with that is you've got to generate them off chain. Um, but the uh, what I found so compelling about um, about BTC Relay is that all you need is a simple uh, yes a simplified you know a simple payment verification node built into a uh, built into say Ethereum and you can use that to route between different chains you know or every anyway, you need to have you need to have it on the um, you need to have the ability to verify using a, a um, using a simple payment verification node um, on a particular chain that you know that you want to send stuff to because it needs to be able to verify the state of the other chain but um, if you can do that then you can send stuff to it so sure you can't send to uh, Zcash because you can't um, you can't build that SPV node in Zcash but I mean does Zcash need tokens sent to it from another chain? I don't think it does. I think Ethereum needs it. Um, I think smart contract chains need it, and that's pretty much it. And I guess it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, 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 
do you feel that Ethereum is... I worry about the forks. I mean, I, as you should, because we've had so many this past year that were unintentional. Granted, they the ended up okay. And the switch over to Casper is going to be huge. Not Casper, but like Metropolis. And then the eventual switch to Casper. Like those things in the, in the looming future, you have to like wonder what's going to happen to all that development if those things go awry. I I mean, so I don't think forks really do go awry. I don't think they're dangerous. I don't think they're a big thing. I think that they're an opportunity for external forces to uh, to external media forces to uh, scare up the community and use that divide in the database to divide the community. I see it as a uh, an ideological attack vector. Uh, I don't see it as a true technological attack vector. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not worried about hard forks at all. I'm very pro hard fork. I say hard fork first, ask questions later. Um, <laughs> I just, because, I mean, who cares, man? Like, let's move fast and break things. And don't worry, it's not worth that much anyway. Like, I mean, the stuff really is so, is worth so little. So few people are using well, for it. for now, to, you're right. Uh, for now, that's for that's, now. That's that's appropriate, probably for now in the current state in which Ethereum's in. So let's like let's hard fork like crazy while we can, um, because the thing is, every time we do it, we learn more about the slightly different circumstances under which we conducted what in the Bitcoin world would be considered a catastrophic disaster. Every time we do it, we learn more. And, uh, and I think, uh, I, I mean, I love it. I think it also shows uh, coherence of, uh, of social consensus. And it provides an opportunity for uh, a break in social consensus to take place. And those who don't like it can go off and enjoy their other fork and it rarefies the community. I think, um, I think hard forks strengthen the, uh, strengthen the protocol rather than weaken it. Even though with the way they're spoken of, especially in Coindesk, um, you would think that that's not the case. But no, I think yeah. uh, I think it's in incredibly powerful. You, here's here's a here's an odd question based on like I guess social. Do you feel that these technologies are pushing us towards humans interacting more efficiently, or humans interacting, or or taking away the need for humans to interact socially? Um, like, is it taking the human out of the, out, of, out of the complicated out of the equation, or is it really just making the human be more efficient? So I don't know. Personally, I don't use social media. Like, I don't talk to people on Facebook or anything. I just I only really interact with people face to face, except in work, because I have to, you know, I have to communicate with people through the internet. I like to talk to people face to face. Um, I don't know. I think. I, uh, yeah, it could be either, man. It could be either. I, my, uh, my mum is, my mum hates it. My mum hates online everything. She just, she, she doesn't like that it takes the people out of it. Um, and I do understand that. Personally, if I want something, I want it to be here now, you know, and I don't want there to be a person involved in it. When I get a flight, I don't want to talk to a person. I just want the flight. When I get insurance, I just want to know that it's going to be sorted. I just want this shit to be done for me. 
I don't care about interacting with a person. I don't need a salesperson. I already know what I want. Um, so all of those superfluous interactions that we have to do that drive me up the wall. I mean, if I have to talk to someone on the phone about getting a service organized or something, my blood just gradually boils. My stress levels go higher and higher. <laughs> I just want it sorted, you know? And, uh, and I think that what this offers is an opportunity to do just that. We'll sort all of these problems, um, all of these, uh, these interactions uh, instantly, or at least in a, in a, in a way that is practically income. Yeah. Pra or just make them more practical than having stupid people involved. Cause those are the people you don't like the people on the phone, right? The people who you have to call to sort out your uh, internet connection <laughs> or to yeah. sort out your insurance. And you can be damn sure they don't like you. <laughs> you know, like think of how many people they have to deal with who are like just, tired right, or frustrated <laughs> it's pissed off you know yeah man i mean i try to be super polite and like fall over myself trying to be polite but sometimes i fail <laughs> and um and it's it's entire it's entirely my fault but wouldn't it be nice to lose those interactions i feel like we're pushing towards that it, 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 if i had to answer my own question it's making it's allowing us to become more efficient and it takes all of the I mean, as we all say it a lot of the times, it takes the middlemen out of a lot of the situations that don't require them, which allows you to just be like, do the things you want to do with the people you want to do them with. And if there's value or, or like communication that requires some type of digital technology, that's more efficient now. And that's what we're trying to move towards. And these, I think these things are making it like kind of more natural. It's going back very much to a more natural peer-to-peer -peer interaction of, of of communication. Maybe that is it. Maybe and, and maybe that's exactly what we'll find is that you know when you have a favorite vendor on uh, on say uh, say I have a favorite battery vendor on Trade which is New Zealand's version of of eBay. Um, which funnily enough was listed on eBay for sale from you buy a lot of eBay batteries down and well, it turns out I do because <laughs> I like to buy them off this guy. And, um, right. and I mean, I bought it all started because I bought a, I bought a van and I wanted to put a deep cycle battery in it. Oh, got it. And he had a battery for 600 bucks. That was only, uh, that was, uh, had like a recommended retail of 900 and it was just like, dude, this is awesome. I've got so much electricity now in my van. And, um, and then, you know, he was, he sells like, you know, lithi various lithium batteries and stuff. And it's like, oh, this is cool, man. Where do you get these batteries? Well, it's funny. You should ask. I get them from, uh, a manufacturer in China and I da -de -da -de -da, and told me a story about that. And it's like, oh, I tried to do that once with acoustic foam. And he's like, oh, really? Yeah, no, I should have done batteries. Ha, ha, ha. And, you know, and, <laughs> and it's like, and now so weirdly, there is one guy, an actual dude who I go to for batteries. And I've never had that before. And certainly in, um, in the States, I would have just gone for Amazon every time. So, so that's the... So yeah. you feel like this is actually pushing us towards that type of thing that, 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 that you prefer the peer to peer. You like that. Like I having, like having a guy for whatever esoteric thing you're buying. 
Yeah, don't you think? You know, I if personally somebody do. knows what they're, you know, maybe that is what, maybe, you know, because we imagine that it's all going to be Amazon, right? But how do you know that you're getting the right thing on Amazon? What if you just need a, what if you need a spear gun? And you're like, man, I need a spear gun. Where am I going to go? I know. I'll go on Open Bazaar to the spear gun vendor and go, hey, man, what <laughs> spear gun should I get? I've got the spear gun. You know I've got just the spear gun you need. Just the spear gun. I had a guy come in here with exactly that same question. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, then like having those kind of relationships that people used to have and say with their bankers, right, that are now entirely algorithmic. Um, you know, I talked to my parents about banking and they used to say, oh, I'll make sure you better, better you know, go in well-dressed. It's like, mate, it doesn't matter if you go in and, uh, and flip-flops and, a, and, a, and, you know, a muscle shirt. You're, uh, you, you're going to, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not going to affect whether or not you get approved for a credit card, man. Um, whereas, you know, I think on the internet, once you've got a, uh, once we have a stable, uh, and a, and a powerful reputation system. That's exactly how it'll be. Mm-hmm. Just look at they look at the like the way ICOs have been taken off and this Kickstarter, like this this decentralized fundraising that currently wasn't available. Now you just if you have a good idea, you could get a couple million dollars. It seems in the Ethereum community, and that that well, wasn't people possible. People want to see it. Yeah, they don't know, of course they want to see it, but it's that wasn't really possible in the past it, through that traditional banking infrastructure of like putting your suit on going asking for a loan showing a presentation on why it's a good bit all this type of stuff you can just do that digitally and, and really get funded by the people who want to see it happen yeah it's weird though eh? like i i don't yeah it's a um it's a uh i don't know i'm not <laughs> shit man i don't know i know i can't i can't really talk about it um can't really talk about that stuff. All right, <laughs> just, just because. Got it. Um, yeah, it's it's um, it's weird. There's there's tons of stuff that this enables, and I suppose you've actually the the question of how how does this affect our uh, how does this affect our ability to be human, I guess, and and the uh, and the kind of the 19th century sense and the way that we had society that was made up of people around us. Um, that is the question. Does this isolate us or does this bring us closer together? And um, I think the jury's out. I think the jury's out. I'd like it to bring us closer together. My vote's closer together. I think it's, it's, it's pushing us towards that. It makes everything closer, which allows you to interact like you used to and act like, build your own community and act within that community and kind of talk to the people you want to talk to. Whereas previously that wasn't possible. So you couldn't ever do that. And you're going to have the choice of living either life. But I think most people will like, this is the, I guess the world I like to see is most people will kind of get back to that peer to peer personal community kind of bootstrapped life if that makes any sense. Yeah. Rather than it's just a digital, uh, a digital equivalent of it rather than being mm-hmm. stuck, uh, stuck going to walk, trudging to Walmart for, uh, for, for nappies and milk. You've got, uh, you have a, um, well, you can order it online from your nappy and milk guy. Or, uh... <laughs> exactly. 
Um, yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's honestly, it's plausible. I think you could make arguments on both sides of it. And I know I was actually really pissed last time we talked. And, um, and I went on at great length about plausibility. And, uh, and I think, you know, like I was saying before, I don't make predictions. I just look at what is plausible. And, uh, and yeah, I think both, both scenarios are, are equally plausible. One in which this brings us closer together, one in which this drives us uh, infinitely apart because it can allow us to inter interact with one another uh, on the same as agents uh, with equivalent permissions as just computer programs. So <clears throat> that's kind of we the, can, the, uh, it, the, the way it works with generalizing a technology. It's the, the kind of like when you generalize something, you get the, the choice to go either direction. Like with Twitter, you can either, you know, live tweet things of importance that are currently censored by your government, or you can say, you know, fuck off, lol, LMAO, like, you know, you can, you, can, you can have both discourses happening at the same time. So like, this is generalizing the technology, allowing you to do different things. So the person's going to have both paths to choose. And it's just a matter of whether or not, like where previous, they didn't have that choice. Right, right now we take what we're given. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a uh, that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to watch develop this year. Actually, I think we'll start to notice. Open Bazaar, man, that thing is firing. Yeah, and they're 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 doing it the right way too. I'm uh, I've been more and more impressed by the way that those guys have have done what they did. I mean, I it was plausible way back when if there's that word again but uh but so many things were uh bit square another one right um mm -hmm. even far less uh far less i think lauded but i mean i always uh i mention it every every chance i get it's uh one of the best um one of the best projects i think that ever took place in crypto was bit square and um and it worked and there you go you know um fits exactly into the open bizarre paradigm independent blockchain independent network independent um well independent everything and uh and i suppose with those two shining examples what ethereum has to do is show that it can create an ecosystem of such shiny of you know just just the same kinds of uh, of um of interoperable services and if it can do that we will see the uh we will have the opportunity to see exactly what um what that future looks like but i'm sure it will i mean things are going from strength to strength you've got you've got some great minds working on great things that i think i've read a lot of white papers and i read i, I, I read a lot of what people talk about and it's i've spent a lot of my life reading very technical papers on very mundane things and these these guys kind of get it they they get it they're they're not they're not hacks they're not just you know writing words down that sound complicated because to you know and to you know obfuscate through complexity they're these are real things that i think people are are building that will work and i'm excited to kind of see it see it grow cuz i think What's like all the, the fact that it's all on Ethereum or the majority of this type of development is on Ethereum is, is so fantastic because of the, 
the fact that things that are all built on the same blockchain speak the same language. Therefore, you can have applications that kind of allow you to do everything all within the same interface and the same money. That's that's kind of overlooked a little bit or not put on front street as much as it should be. Because people are lazy and app fatigue is a real thing. I'm tired of downloading apps to do a, one thing. I would like to do many things from one app. And having everything built on one blockchain allows for that. It does. It does, especially because you, all you need is a single interface. That's the, uh, that's the WeChat uh, yeah, paradigm. It very much is. And it's, that's probably why it's so popular is because everyday people want to do whatever they want from the same interface that's comfortable and reusable and intuitive. They don't want to have 1,000 applications on their cell phone that they have to have different logins for and so on and so forth. No, you want it to just work. Yeah. I, I, I do. Which, I personally just want it to work. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's, it's funny. The, um, the Steve Jobs reality distortion bubble, right, has been, um, has been well, this year I noticed it talked about a lot. And that might be because it was the year that I stumbled into tech, but um, somehow. <laughs> but uh, but I think that one of those uh, one of those things that makes Apple so, uh, work so well is the expectation, a, a sense of entitlement that you get when you open up an Apple laptop and you expect it to do exactly these things that you expect it to do, and if it doesn't do them. You know, you you get quite upset. I personally get very upset with my uh, with my devices, and the thing is, I have very different expectations, much higher expectations, of an Apple laptop than I do of a Windows laptop. The benefit of a Windows laptop is flexibility, right? But I don't live. I, I don't have any illusions. I know that it's not always going to work the way I want it, and I know it's not going to do the things that I necessarily want it to do. Apple, on the other hand, will work out of the box. Load up, uh, load up, you know, Google Docs and your or Google Drive, right? And you're away. You have got everything that you need between those two, uh, between Google and Apple. Um, and uh, and so yeah, I think that this kind of this expectation of uh, of ease of use of built-in functionality is something that uh, we've learned from Steve. And, uh, and I think WeChat is an example of that being uh, picked up by China. Uh, maybe it's a second mover thing. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and then now we're going on to uh, – and now with Ethereum, we're having a network that incorporates every single service imaginable. So we will get to see how exactly this uh, – how exactly this um, – I guess inclusive, I guess bundled uh, bundled capability paradigm uh, unfolds, and yeah, hopefully it's uh, hopefully it's going to um, going to live up to all of our expectations. Hey, but I have to. Uh, I actually, my brother just flew in today with his wife, and I have to go uh, entertain. I was about to say the same thing. That not that my brother flew in with his wife, but I think it's about time to call us and quits. That was a great way to end it out. 
Awesome. Hey, well, thanks a bunch, Corey. It's always a pleasure. I'm. It's a pity that we. Uh, it was just you and I this time, but oh well. Yeah, Marcello had some internet problems. He had to restart his router, and that's something that happened. And D was D was gone. But, but you're always more than welcome to come on the show. We love hearing from you. Hey, I love it too, man. And uh, yeah, tell me when it goes live, and um, and I look forward to having the yarn in the future. Yep. Sounds good. Great. Thank you, Corey. You too, Arthur. And that was the interview with Arthur Falls bringing the thunder from down under. That was, that was messed up. That was like a, New Zealand. He's a Kiwi. Yeah, but I mean, New Zealand, Australia. Same thing. Yep. I always see There's New Zealand as like Australia's Canada. Yeah, it's like a hop and a skip away. Do they drink Fosters in New Zealand? No, they don't even think. Like I talked to a bunch of Australians, they didn't even know what, Aus- what Fosters was. <laughs> Stuff is like, a fraud. Like, Mexicans don't drink Coronas. Like it's all American marketing. Do Germans drink Heineken? No, that's a Holland beer. Actually, it's Brazilian now. Yeah, Germans don't even touch that stuff. Heineken Heineken's is owned by Brazil. Holland? Heineken's owned in Brazil. Right there. Heineken's in Brazil now. Yeah, so is so is so is like Coors. Coors is a Brazilian company now. Corey, so is, have you seen so the Olympic Stadium? Heinz Ketchup. What? The, the Brazilian Olympic Stadium is now deserted and like overgrown. A lot, like, all of them are. All of the FIFA stuff is deserted. Five months after the Olympics, that shit is like desolate and yeah, because they come in, they build these magnificent <laughs> structures and zero infrastructure to get to it and then when they leave they're, they're, the Brazilians are like well what the hell do we do with this thing now yeah, like we don't know there. we don't care and then it's just like alright well I guess it's dilapidated because it costs a ton of money just to upkeep yeah. it like if you want to have a game there you gotta fill all the concessions you gotta do all that nonsense you gotta pay those people they got money for that there's like nature growing on the seats now and vines and like shit like it's pretty crazy all right. well uh, hit us hit them hit with some uh, with some some tricky sponsors Cello yeah, if you like that it's interview with Arthur run, Falls, let's fall into some ads. That's my segue. Nice. All right. But you don't want to fall victim to sketchy browsing. So VPN services are here to save the day. I'm talking about you guys like you guys are gonna allow me to do that? Okay. I'm talking <laughs> the great folks at private internet access. Uh, they provide VPN tunnel services. I'm on it right now. I know Corey's on it. D might be on it. Regardless. No. No. But you, so two out of three people use this. So you should use it too. Start browsing securely and anonymously with PIA, OpenVPN. It's a lot of acronyms, but the, the bottom line is it's strong and secure and it's the best. It's easy. And it's, th- and it's cheap. And it's easy. I, here's here's my new here's my new tagline for for v, for private internet access VPN. It's so cheap. Why not? What do you have to lose? Yeah, that's we a, don't know that you browse. Why not do it? <laughs> it's shit, cheap so. as hell. And I, don't, I don't like the what do you have to lose. What's up, dude? What do you have to lose? I don't like that line. That's but not what you have to lose. It's just it's so cheap. Why wouldn't you do it? It's not yeah. going to affect you. Well, what do you got to lose? Because there's a seven day money back guarantee. Yeah. Uh, 
we can we can talk yeah. about our favorite our favorite tagline for for other people's products all day long. <laughs> the uh, what do you got to? What kind of shit have you got to lose? We got to work shit into there somehow. Got to It's VPN. Hide your shit. <laughs> there you go. Browse anonymously. So. <laughs> You sh- you should have been a marketer your whole life, D. <laughs> so what do you got to lose? Private internet access dot kizam. Visit that PC Matt calls it the best. So also um, friends of the show, escrowmybits.com. Ooh. It's fast. It's all well, you know what? It's it's easy. Serious? Oh. I don't know if it's super easy, like VPN. But it's on the same level of easiness. All of our sponsors, it's just really easy. That's the point I'm trying to make. See, we're lazy and we don't know very much, so we like things that are easy. Yeah. Yep. So all you that's what do our is, sponsors do. All you gotta do is register and deposit your Bitcoin. Seller ships the item. Buyer checks the goods and releases the funds. It's the best way to sell anything on the internet and use Bitcoin. And they're gonna charge a small flat escrow fee of one percent on all escrow transactions, and they even offer you. The ability to split the fee with the other party so they thought of everything and the service was created to solve all the problems wrong with the type of escrow services currently around in fact i haven't even been doing any research on the other escrow services as far as i'm concerned this is the only one because they make escrow as simple as possible so go to that website make sure you sign up for their newsletter stay up to date uh where you can escrow your shit with escrow my bits i wonder if the owner com now listens to his own jingle. Like you think when he says his own name, he thinks of it that in his head. Because I know listeners who use com do that. They've told us. But I wonder if the owner's like, when he says his name to people or like thinks about it in his head, the dot com happens. We should copyright that so he can't use it. And then he can't <laughs> use it. Good friend of the show, Eskrima Bits. We're going to body him out of his own business. <laughs> I'm not saying that, but it's kind of like inception marketing. Like we, he was a sponsor, but then we created value. That it's he like being a patent product. troll. It's like, hey, we made this thing for your business. You can't use it though until you pay us. Yeah. <laughs> That's like you know, Anderson Silva creates a new type of glove that Dana White can't use but once, even though he's an employee. Mm. Debbie, let's Debbie, uh, Debbie, Debbie we're wrap it up. Let's wrap this up. So, shout out to Zoe Saldana. Uh, hey, man. Hey, bad form. I got another sponsor, man. And they need to know about this. I set that up for you. Oh, okay. So dramatic for the audience. Zoe Saldana yeah. is slang for Athena Bitcoin. So, shout out to Athena Bitcoin. <laughs> they're, they're the most trusted name in Bitcoin ATMs. They're located in Cedar Hill, you pabs. Corey, tell them about Cedar Hill. Cedar Hill is the best. All right. That's all uh, I got. Also, all I got. Nice details there. <laughs> Calm down, Trump. Houston, Fort Worth, like seven or eight other U.S. cities. Uh, so, uh, you know, figure out if they're in your city and then use them because they're the most trusted name. Download the Athena Bitcoin wallet on the App Store or Google Play for specific locations and more information. Visit athenabitcoin.com. And we're also brought to you, last but not least, by their portfolio company, bitquick.co, which is the secure quick. And that's the keyword of the week. Easy. It's very easy. It's the peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace. 
where you can get for ca- you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. And they've been serving Bitcoin since 2013. So where there's a bank, there's Bitquick. Dot com. <laughs> well, dot co. Dot co. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so use Bitquick. ATM, BTM your shit with Bitquick. So if you didn't skip these ads because you thought there was going to be more talk, you got punked because we're wrapping it up. Oh, sorry about you. Sorry, not we sorry. Sorry, not we sorry. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Arthur Falls, and thank you for listening. Um, but what we do need to tell you is that Zoe Saldana is back in public, making public appearances because she's going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy two. So she's out there again. And Avengers: Uh-oh. Infinity War. Yep. Are you getting ready for it? Uh, shout out to Viola Davis, of course. Shout out to uh, who am I missing here? Who cares? Shania Twain. Huh? Who cares? What do you mean? Who cares? No one else is listening to this. They all they all hung out by now. If anyone is still listening to this show, tweet us the word "Who cares." The words "Who cares," and we're gonna give you something. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening to this part of the show, yeah, tweet who cares or tweet me. Uh, Zoe Saldana is the best. And D's going to pay you some money. Alive. And I will give you some, I will give you a dollar in Bitcoin. All right. Okay. Goodbye. I just want to see, this is a test to see who listens. Actually, fucking hell, that could be a lot of people. The first person. <laughs> the first. <laughs> The first person who tweets me, Zoe Saldana is the best woman ever, will receive a dollar in Bitcoin for me. A dollar? Five dollars in Bitcoin for me. Five dollars in Bitcoin for me. Fuck that. Ten dollars in Bitcoin from me. All right. You heard it here.